Hey there, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Struchowski podcast. Before we get into the podcast episode today, I want to invite you to head on over to my website, overwhelmsucks.com. Yes, you did hear that correctly, overwhelmsucks.com. Pick up my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. I know that when you're overwhelmed, the last thing you want to do is read a long report, so I intentionally made this free guide simple to read and most importantly to implement so get your free guide 10 quick ways to conquer overwhelm at overwhelmsucks.com lee mars is a collaboration consultant and leadership coach for major universities corporations and federal agencies as well as a longtime student of pioneering researchers and practitioners of the ritualized use of psychedelics medicines in the west in her professional work she has led diverse initiatives including a training program to promote an experimental mindset among teams at Nassau and a decade-long cross-sector collaboration to reduce toxic chemicals and products in partnership with Green Science Policy Initiative, Harvard University, IKEA, Google, and Kaiser Permanente. Justin Zorn has served as both a policymaker and a mediation teacher in the U.S. Congress, a Harvard and Oxford trained specialist in economics and psychology of well-being. Justin has written for the Washington Post, The Atlantic, The Guardian, Harvard Business Review, Foreign Policy, Time, Newsweek, Wired, The Nation, The American Prospect, CNN, and other publications. While it's a lot, Lee and Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks, Mark, for the very generous intro there. <laughs> I don't think I've had that long of an intro in quite some time, but I, I had to introduce both of you. I tripped over a couple of words, but my listeners of this show know that's how I roll. Okay, I don't edit that stuff out. This is real life. So I just want the listener to know I've only done a couple podcasts with more than one guest. So we may trip over each other. That's We're just going to figure this out as we go along. We, we're not going to do cues. We're just going to try to guess how it works out. But I know these two people. They have been around podcasting for a while. They know how the game is played. And I'm really excited about the topic they want to talk about. They want to talk about silence. Now, this is where I want to be silent, but we can't do that because a lot of podcast players will automatically take out the silence. And so we can't do that. That would have been really dramatic to say, hey, let's pause for five seconds. But I, I know most podcast players, as I said, will, would remove it. So Lee, let's start with you. Why why silence? I mean, this is 2022. This episode is released on September 1st, 2022. Why is silence so important in our culture and society today? Yeah, thank you, Mark. Well, we came to this from a place of despondency, actually doing that work that you were just describing with such vigor. Thank you very much in the world. <laughs> we were we were really working in complex and um, high stress environments, still are. And we were finding that the the grinding, the doing more, more data, more, you know, more articulation, more words that we had just basically reached our limit. It wasn't feeling effective. It wasn't feeling like it was changing minds, creating breakthrough thinking on these important topics. So we both had this intuition that the place to look might be silence, that the mm -hmm. answer may not come or the answers may not come from more thinking and talking. So we follow that intuition together. We had just been introduced through a friend and we decided to start writing. We wrote an article for Harvard Business Review that um, looked at these issues, kind of raised this, mostly from an auditory perspective, which we broadened and we'll go into that when we talk more. And um, to our surprise, that article went viral. 
Uh, we took a few steps back to see what was trying, you know, what was being asked of us. And we set out on an adventure to, uh, to interview people following the kooky crumbs, neuroscientists, politicians, uh, poets, activists, uh, whirling dervish, uh, Lieutenant Air Force Colonel, uh, man incarcerated on death row, and many, many others. So, And we asked them this question, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? And their answers is what shaped this book. That's, that's a very profound question. And as you were talking there, one of the things that came to my mind is we live in a world that's always on, 24-7, 365. And this morning, just this morning, I was in the shower and I'm doing a speaking engagement tomorrow on September, or actually tonight. I'm sorry, tonight, uh, September 1st for an organization here in Houston. And an idea popped into my head about an idea that I'm going to use for tonight's presentation. Now, had I been in social media, had I been listening to an audiobook, or been so distracted, I might not have come up with an idea. But because I was, well, I can't read in the shower. I mean, it's kind of weird because the book would get all wet. The idea popped into my head. So I'm a big fan of silence. So, Justin, what do you want to chime in about the, about the power of silence? You know, what was so surprising for us, Mark, was really that when we started asking all this extraordinarily you know, diverse range of folks about the power of silence, the meaning of silence, what's the deepest silence you've ever known, they described situations, as Lee was starting to describe, that weren't always auditorily quiet. They started describing to us situations of, you know, these births and deaths and running the perfect line through roaring rapids and even the 4 a.m. mark at an all-night dance party. One, one uh, academic expert told us about someone who had experienced what they described as their deepest silence while carving the perfect sculpture with a chainsaw on a log, a piece of wood. And we, at first we thought we were asking the wrong question. How is this the deepest silence you've ever known? And then as we started to come deeper into the answer, we started to realize, Mark, that what we were talking about was silence as this subjective phenomenon, as getting beyond the auditory noise at one level. Yeah, that's important. And we get into the research on that in the book but also getting beyond the informational noise and getting beyond the internal noise, the noise inside our heads. So when we wrote this Harvard Business Review uh, article that Lee mentioned, we thought of silence in a certain way. We thought of silence as literal silence, the absence of sound. But we started to realize over time that what we were really talking about was the absence of noise insofar as noise is that which is making claims on our consciousness, what's interfering with our true perception, our true intention. And silence at one level is the absence of that. But silence, once you really get into it, everyone has their own experience of silence that only they know. And once we get to the deep silence, the profound silence, that silence isn't just an absence it can be a presence unto itself. Well, let me ask you this, because I am fascinated by the power of silence and people's deepest silence. Mm. Why do you think people don't make it a priority to spend any time in some form of silence? Why, why do you think we as a society 
always got to check what's going on in social media. Always have to have a TV on. Always have have some stimulation on. I mean, I I have friends, close friends of mine, who they won't, as um, Cal Newport says, embrace the boredom. If they are bored at all, they pick up their phone. And I'm like, why can't you just be? Just mm-hmm. just sit there like a lump on a log. Why do you think that is? Has your research in your book, you know, shed any light on this? Yeah, we well, we ask that same question and we struggle with those same questions. And we do turn to Cal Newport's work as well. Love his work and uh, deep work and all of that yes. the consciousness that that's raised for each of us. And really, this is a book about really noticing the noise and when we grab for it and really tuning into what are the reasons? What is it that may, we may be afraid of, that we may be avoiding that matters most? This is a book about really tuning into what are the signals the real true signals that we're not following due to this kind of habit of um, this you know, very well-worn habit in some of us for grabbing for the noise. We also have a chapter that asks you know, why silence is scary because mm. for some of us, it's quite terrifying to, to turn our attention to that which is really being asked for us to look and think and explore, right? What if we are in the wrong job, the wrong marriage, the wrong this, the wrong? What if we're not being true to ourselves? What you know? What if we are using substances um, and blocking out? You know, all these things. You know, not dealing, addressing all kinds of things, trauma. So there's a lot in here. So we meet that f- from a place of compassion, really, not making that wrong. And certainly, we understand that from the inside out. And then we also turn out and look at the economics, really how everything is built towards us um, making more noise. And Justin can pick up on that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when Lee mentions this chapter of the book, Why Silence is Scary, we mean that in the big sense of, you know, taking a lot of time in silence. We really have to face ourselves. And that can be really intense. That can be scary. But there's also in the culture today, a way that even very small periods of time in silence are scary. There was a study at the University of Virginia in 2014 where a social psychologist gave undergraduate students a choice of whether they wanted to sit in silence for 15 minutes with no phones, no people, no distractions, or receive a very painful electric shock. (laughs) And at the beginning of the study, every participant said that they would actually pay money to avoid being shocked. But after 15 minutes, more than 60% of the men, 25% of the women had actually shocked themselves rather than sitting alone in silence for 15 minutes. So that's how much we're ingrained to not deal with the silence, Mark. And, you know, as Lee mentioned, kind of the economics of this, I mean, one level, one level to it, I think you could just call the FOMO, the fear of missing out. What am I missing on my phone? What am I supposed to be doing for my job, for my social commitments? You know, Lee mentioned we, we approach this with some compassion because this is the name of the game in our society right now, you know, doing, producing content on social media. But we explore in this, in this book the notion that, you know, the best ideas come from beyond the noise. And our society, our, our economy right now is structured for the maximum possible production of mental stuff. The way we measure economic growth, for example, with GDP, when we look at how much industrial stuff we're producing, how much content we're producing, you know, famously, you know, if you take a forest and just leave it intact, that doesn't count as anything for economic growth. But if you chop it down, 
that counts as a value for GDP. You could say the same thing about human attention. When you keep human attention intact in a moment of pristine attention, that doesn't count any, as anything for GDP. Now, when you turn it into eyeballs on a Facebook page and turn that into advertising revenue and chop up that pristine attention, then that becomes what we recognize in our culture, in our society, our economic system as growth, as progress, as value. So part of our reason for writing this book is to say, what if we as a culture could value silence? What if we could value pristine attention as what we're going for? Because that's where we find the most value for ourselves. And this is where we find often the best ideas that actually bring real value and real progress to our culture. What I find interesting is I'm a professional speaker and all during high school, all during college, I hated speaking in front of anybody. Now, as I alluded to earlier, I'm going to be speaking tonight at a local uh, organization here in Houston. And I'm one of those speakers that I love silence. So if I mm. ask the audience a question and I don't get an answer, I have no problem just being quiet. Or if I lose my thought, I don't get cold sweat. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to rest here for a few seconds. And then the thought will come back. Most people, they're like, uh, um, uh, uh, because they don't know what to do with that silence. But I find if you just gift yourself the silence, and it doesn't have to be 15, 15 minutes so you get shocked or get shocked, I mean. But <laughs> if you just give yourself five or six seconds, the answer you're trying to grab may pop up. But mm -hmm. we feel the need to feel that space every second we're awake with noise or some other, not just noise in terms of audible noise, but some noise to distract us. And I, I find that utterly fascinating. You may or may not know this, but I'm a daily runner. I've been running every single day, at least one mile since August 29th, 2017. So I just hit five years earlier this week. Well, one of the things I try to do at least once a week, sometimes twice, is called running naked. That doesn't mean without clothes. It means without headphones. No audiobooks, uh. no podcasts, no music. And I can tell you when I run naked, oh my goodness, my brain can process things. And I get so many ideas when I'm running because there's no distraction of what's in my ears. And I find that utterly fascinating that people, you run without headphones? How do you do that? Uh, just put one foot in front of the other. It's, it's amazing how it works. And I, when I stopped listening to headphones all the time, I found out that birds chirp, wind <laughs> makes sound when it goes to the trees. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> All this stuff that's happening out there. I have never heard that. I don't think we've ever heard that term, but I love it. I love it. And you're in this kind of situation. A lot of us really come to understand our silence, our quiet and flow states in movement. So one of the thing is silence doesn't necessarily need to mean still stillness, right? So you're in this great, with this daily practice, this great learning lab of noise and silence. When are you distracted? When is the podcast you're listening to quietening your maybe internal noise? When is it better to listen to the external sounds and maybe just kind of get absorbed in that and let those ideas run, you know, flush in? That's beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly the, the what most frustrating part, though, is when I get this idea, I'm like, okay, do I stop? 
and make the note? Do I hope I remember? So, but I, I usually, I don't, I'm trying to keep within my heart rate. So I'm not going to stop. And if it, I figure if it's that important, it'll come back to me later when I get back to the car and I can make a note. <laughs> yeah. We do the same. Yeah. I think that's it. Margaret, I love this example, running naked, running without headphones. I love it so much because, you know, we often think about the question, why do the best ideas happen in the shower? You know, why do the best ideas happen when we're not at our computers, when we're not at our phones? You know, one way we think about it is, you know, that this book is an invitation to take a temporary break from one of life's most basic responsibilities, which is having to think of what to say. We're in so many settings in our lives where we have to think of what to say. We have to fill the space with entertainment and insights and sounding smart and sounding creative, whatever it might be. But the moment we give up that expectation, the moment we we cease to have to fill up the space and we can just be, almost ironically, that's when the best ideas bubble up. (laughs) You know, it's like... (laughs) We talk with this guy in the book named Cyrus Habib, who was the son of Iranian immigrants to the U.S. He went blind when he was eight years old, and he learned Braille, ended up going to uh, Columbia, Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, Yale Law School, becoming the lieutenant governor of Washington State when he was around 35 years old. And everyone thought Cyrus was going to run for governor or the U.S. Senate. And he shocked everyone by announcing that his next move was taking a vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience as a novice Jesuit priest. And everyone was like, what are you doing, Cyrus? This is what a... <laughs> and we we talk with him before leaving politics and, and after. And he describes to us what happened for him going from the lieutenant governor's office directly into a month-long silent retreat, essentially silent, studying the preliminary uh, you know commitments and teachings and practices of a Jesuit. And he described to us how in that state, it was like a total elimination diet of all the auditory noise and all the informational noise of his Mm. life. But his internal noise was still, you know, these hearty heaping servings every single day. And he couldn't figure out why. And he realized that it was because he was still caught up in a mode of living that was a kind of obsession with performing thinking about what am I going to say? What am I going to produce? What am I going to, what are people thinking of me? And he said at that point, when he would ask that question, what are people thinking of me? He just assumed people thought he was totally nuts making the decision he had just made. But the moment he asked himself the question, where do I really want to be? He realized the answer was right here where I am. And it's like a, you know, the, the experience you were describing, you know, running without headphones It's like a little microcosm of that. It's like we step away from all the expectations, all the need to perform, all the eyes on us. And we're just present, just in, you know, feeling the footsteps on the ground, feeling the breath. And all of a sudden, it's like we can return to a more centered, more present experience of life. And in that experience, there's this there's this transcendence of the noise that defines our world today. I have a feeling that no matter what happens as a result of this podcast, both of you will never forget the term running naked. Um, (laughs) Guaranteed. We're both fans of Cal Newport. And one of the things I still remember from his book is embracing the boredom. 
Now, if you're not familiar, listener, what embracing the boredom is, is when you're at the checkout line and there's a couple of people in front of you, we tend to pull out our phone. And he said, embrace the boredom. Look around. You may see things that you didn't notice, or maybe, I don't know, talk to the person ahead of you. Let's talk a little bit about why it is so important to embrace the boredom. I know we're in a world today that's go, 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 go. Never, never, never stop. But there's something powerful to embrace the boredom. Lee, won't we start with you? Got overwhelm? Then you need to get my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. This free guide will help you quickly deal with overwhelm so you can get back to making the impact you've dreamed of. Get your copy for free at overwhelmsucks.com. Yeah, we actually have a very similar instruction in ours. We have a a field guide at the end of the book called um, 33 Ways to Find Silence. And one of them in there is little gifts of silence. So if you think of that little moment of boredom as a little gift, um, a moment you can just sink into, or maybe when you find yourself in dense traffic or long lines, any of those things, or your, or your phone just stopped working. Can we just not fret, not get all worked up, but take that in as like a beautiful opportunity to connect to our sensory experience, the moment that is, and just an unscheduled, unplanned moment, which we have so few of now. We're so packed. Our meetings are back to back without any time to prepare or to integrate what just happened. And so with our obsession with, I think it's a distortion of productivity, right? This true productivity needs that time of rest, that time to reflect, that time for something to just swoop in and some novel ideas to connect that have never happened. That requires downtime. But if we get kind of caught in the trap of thinking of productivity is only about content, it's only about that doing and the you know computer time and electronics and all these things and talking and thinking, then we start to see our our productivity very quickly, and I know your listeners know this, fall off. So we really do care about getting our work done in the world. We really do care about having full lives, and it requires more silence, more space to do it. And of course, when the internet goes out or the power goes out, people are in a panic because, oh my goodness, look, hey, it's a gift. I look at the power going out unless it happens like during the February winter storm in Texas or during a hurricane. But when the power goes out for a couple hours, Hey, it's a gift. I usually get my book and go outside. I only run print books, go outside with my dog. And I look at it as a gift, but so many people are like, I can't post on Twitter. What am I going to do? And I, I laugh. I think it's hysterical. It's like, maybe that's the universe or God's way of saying, Hey, you need to slow down and take a moment of pause right now. Mm-hmm. We talk about that in the book as, as little gifts of silence. You know, like how do we accept these moments as little gifts? Even when you're stuck in the line at the post office, you know, the podcast stops streaming, whatever it might be. <laughs> and we look, we look at this, uh, you know, we look at the neuroscience of this too. You know, there was a study at, at uh, Duke Medical School a few years back that looked at the effect of different types of auditory stimulus on the brains of of mice when they were inside these soundless anechoic chambers. They played Mozart music and they played pup sounds and they played white noise. And it was silence that promoted the most regeneration of brain cells in the hippocampus, the part of the brain associated with memory, that actually listening to silence promotes the regeneration of these vital neurons in the brain. 
And we look at this through all different angles, but taking the time to just step outside and listen, or just step into a quiet room and listen to nothing in particular. So Mark, we think of this uh, this kind of vision we're putting forward here as a kind of non-meditator's guide to getting beyond the noise. Because we meet so many people these days who beat themselves up for saying, I don't meditate enough, or I don't meditate in the right way, or I don't know what I'm doing. And we wrote, you know, we wrote this book to give people license to stop beating themselves up and stop asking themselves questions like, am I doing it right? Because everyone in their own way knows what silence is, knows what silence for them, what it feels like. Mm-hmm. So our hope is that people can simply have a practice of noticing the noise in their lives, the auditory noise, the informational noise, the internal noise, noticing that noise, studying how to navigate it, and then tune into the silence. Mm -hmm. And it might just be that the silence is available for 10 seconds, five seconds. How deeply can you go into these very brief pockets of peace? And from time to time, can you find deeper silence? You know, from time to time, maybe once a year, once every two years, can you go deeper into the wilderness or can you take a couple days to go deep into the silence? One of the things I subscribe to is uh, Fitness Plus, some Apple. I'm all in, all in an Apple. And a lot, I do the meditations from time to time. And one of my favorite meditations they do is you get really quiet. And they tell you to listen for sounds around you. And it's so quiet. I'm like, wow, I never heard that noise before. And I start, wow, because I don't stop enough to listen to what's going on. But when you intentionally sit here and listen, I can't do it with headphones on because you're blocking the sound. But I encourage you, listener, to try this out. Next time you're sitting in silence, close your eyes and just see how many sounds you can listen to start close and then see how many sounds, how far you can go out. When I do this, I'm surprised of how many sounds that I have just blocked throughout my day that are present. And you can't do that if you're always hearing noise. I mean, I, I, I confess, I, I love Christian hip hop and I've got an Apple home pod. And when no one else is home, I jack that thing up because I like loud hip hop music. But there's also a time if I'm going to write a newsletter, a blog post, I can't have any music or maybe I'll have some rain in the background or something because I can't have the of music. I can't concentrate, but there's a time for that. And there's a time for being quiet. And I think people need to understand. I hope that as they listen to this conversation, they understand that silence is not a weakness. Silence is not laziness. Silence is powerful and i'm known as mr productivity and i am endorsing the power of silence <laughs> awesome <laughs> we do try to direct um the reader as we do do ourselves to really tuning into the signals in our bodies maybe that we're feeling a lot of noise i notice a clenching in the jaw a mm-hmm. tightness in the diaphragm you know, some tightness in the shoulder. I notice my behaviors change with my loved ones, especially I'll get more irritable if I'm really quite saturated in noise. So if we get really tuned into what are the signals that we're kind of on the noisy track, you know, we're, we're just saturated with noise. We can then also tune into this, to the signals in our bodies, in our relationships, in our tasks that we 
are finding quiet. So when we do say, actually take that moment in the line, the long line to relax, like what do we notice? Ah, the release of the diaphragm, you know, some ideas kind of opening up. We're not in a contracted state now. We're in an expanded state. We're in an expansive state. And that that correlates perfectly with the neuroscience. When we're in that contracted state, of, of like you were describing your public speaking and, oh my God, I don't know what to say. Those thoughts will not come to you. And the neuroscience backs that. That's not just you. It's just like we shut down, the brain shuts down and all, you know, we get flooded with all these hormones and all this cortisol. And of course, like, you know, that's, we get into a fight or flight state. Well, we're in an expansive state, all, all kinds of things. It's pure potentiality. In fact, we look to a Japanese concept called MA, M-A, so that was transliterated, where there's this emphasis in the empty spaces. And here I am in a Japanese space, right? There's all kinds of blank spaces. The scrolls have empty space. There's the calligraphy of the, you know, just a swoosh of the paintbrushes, but all the empty space is an equal part of that artistic presentation. In haikus, in poetry, it's what you say, what you don't say. It's that tension in the architecture as well. So we asked the question, like, what if we brought Ma more into our lives, into our conversations, where we would have more space between what's said for the words to land and be heard and received, for us to really tune into what is it that needs or wants to be said now, not just what I was rehearsing a few minutes ago. And what if we brought Ma on the job and we actually created idea generation experiences where we would have some downtime to reflect. Maybe we would have a wall of post-it notes where people could peruse them silently, maybe vote for ideas anonymously, um, have a night to sleep on things, things like that. So we're not always defaulting to the tyranny of the fastest and the loudest. So Ma brings in this like sense of wholeness that what is said and what is unsaid is actually what is done and what is being? <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? What are we being? That this is actually what creates a wholeness in a life. We're not living a whole life without silence. You know, Mark, when you were talking about that meditation you've done with, with Apple Health, where you just listen and notice things you haven't heard before, it was reminding me of someone we spoke with, Tyson Yunkaporta, who's such an original, fascinating thinker. He lives in Australia. He's a uh, Part of an Aboriginal tribe, uh, it's his heritage from from Australia, and he's a, he's an academic and a carver of traditional tools and very multifaceted person. And when we when we asked him about the meaning of silence, he said that in his tradition, in his cultural understanding, there's no word for silence because there's an understanding that silence doesn't exist because nature abhors a vacuum. There's sound and vibration everywhere at some level. And he said, but when you talk about silence in our conversation, what you're describing, the word in my tradition, he says, would be more akin to the ability to perceive a signal. And Mark, as you were talking about doing that meditation and noticing sounds you wouldn't otherwise notice, it just gets me thinking, like, how many signals are we missing in our lives? Mm-hmm. You know, when we're caught up in thinking about I got to check Twitter, got to check Instagram, you know, got to, you know, got to get out on another phone call, you know, got to do this or that, keep the schedule as full as can be. How many signals are we missing? And sometimes it's not just the signals of, you know, hearing a sound we might not have heard before, but sometimes it's the signal of our real intuition, our real purpose, what we're really supposed to be doing in our lives. 
could be about small things, like how we could be, you know, to the theme of optimizing our performance, how we could be managing our time a little bit better, or how we could be solving a problem a little bit better. But in some cases, when we're not investing the time and silence in our ability to perceive a signal, we could be subject to miss the big signals in our lives. And that's really one of the reasons we wanted to explore this topic, because we don't want people to miss those big signals. You know, this is a time in history when, when we want people to be fulfilled at doing what's meaningful and solving the problems that are out there today. And that requires being able to tune in. I heard a story once where this company brought in this gentleman to solve some problem. And the guy that they hired went into this office and turned off all the lights and closed the door. And after several minutes, they're like, look at their watch. And they're like, what is he doing? And so they waited a few minutes and knocked on the door and says, what are you doing? He says, well... I got a problem to solve and I have to get quiet so I can think about the problem. Now I hadn't thought about that story in years, but now because of this conversation, now it's the forefront of my mind. That's how our brain works. Our brain goes, Hey, yeah, this story is uh, applicable to the the, the Mm -hmm. podcast today. But sometimes if you need to think dear listener about a problem, I suggest you number one, get out of your environment Go for a walk, go to a local park or whatever. Don't go to Starbucks or someplace that's noisy. And and just maybe bring a notepad and a pen and just think. Just be quiet and think. The answer will come to you, I promise. So as we come to the end of our show, I want to ask you if there's anything that's on your heart. I mean, obviously, you wrote a whole book on this, and this could be a Joe Rogan three-hour podcast, but it's not going to be. (laughs) But is there anything else that you really want to share with the audience today that's on your heart that you would feel that if you didn't share it and you left the podcast, you would go, oh, man, we should have shared this on Mark's podcast. So anything Mm -hmm. on your hearts that you want to share? Well, I think what comes to my mind and my heart, thank you for that that prompt right now, is that this doesn't need to be complicated, right? It's actually very simple what we're describing here, that noticing the noise, the auditory noise we're describing in decibels, the information that's coming at us at an unprecedented rate, and the internal noise. There's a link there, right? Notice that noise. Notice how it plays out in your life and navigate that as best you can. And by tuning into silence, our second instruction, to really know, you know the way there. We know this as humans. We know quiet. And your way may look really different than your neighbor's way, than your partner's way, than your co-worker's way. And that's okay. We are all for that, you know? So finding your way to silence and really taking that time, little micro moments, bigger moments. So just that encouragement that this is about getting back to something we know It's not a newfangled idea. It's not a life hack. It's just the part of being human. I'm glad you said complexity because as a productivity expert, I hate complexity. And that's one of the biggest problems my clients have is they're making things too complex. I'm like, you're getting in your own way. You're making it too complex. Break it down to simple steps. And like you said, don't overcomplicate this. Mm -hmm. Go outside. And not be on your phone and just sit there. It's not, don't overcomplicate it because I know Lee and Justin, when you complicate something, you're not going to do it. So keep it simple. So Justin, what's on your heart that you want to share with the listener before we go? Thanks for asking. You know, the first thing that comes up for me is just that what we're talking about here isn't 
apathy or withdrawal or running away from the world. I mean, you know, we both, as you mentioned, are, you know, busy in our work. I have two-year-old twins and a five-year-old at home. Wow. Leah's a teenage daughter out in California. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we didn't write this book about silence for people who want to run off to monasteries or run off into the woods. We wrote about how to find silence, you know, in busy lives, in these intense lives, when we're in the game, when we're in the world, and how the silence is always available, how it's always this source of renewal. And we, uh, you know, the the book is called Golden, and this word golden, you know, comes from an old proverb, an old adage, you know, that's sometimes attributed to King Solomon, in fact, that speeches of silver, silences of gold. And we and we love how that how it feels viscerally for us. Like, can we recognize the silence in our lives as something to value, something to appreciate? If we just have a minute, if we just have, you know, some seconds, as I mentioned before, can we step outside into the silence or into a quiet place into the silence? And can we appreciate this silent space as something golden in our lives? I remember a song. I still can see the record my parents had. I don't remember the group, but the song was called Silence is Golden. I think it came out in the 60s. Do y'all remember that song? Yeah, I don't I've heard it. I can hear it yeah, in my it. mind right now, but I can't play it because of copyright rules. But <laughs> if you don't know what that song is, listener, go to Apple Music or Spotify <laughs> and look for Silence is Golden. You want the old. Do you remember who the group was? I don't remember who the group was. No idea. I just, I could sing the song. It would not sound anything like the original <laughs> song. But um, before I ask tremolos. Oh, <laughs> wow. Look at that. Looked it up on Google. Good for you. <laughs> so before we find out where we can find out about you and your book and all this stuff, you mentioned Monastery, Justin. And I had a guest on my show. I don't know. I've had so many guests on my show. He actually went to a silent retreat for a long period of time. I don't know. Remember, it was two weeks or a month. It doesn't matter. And they could not talk at all. So they got to the retreat and they were talking and getting the instructions. And they say, okay, now at this time, no talking. Oh, it's for a week. I'm sorry. We can't talk. It was from Sunday to Sunday. And literally no talk unless you got hurt or something like that. I don't know if I could do that. Could either one of you do that? Could you not talk at all for an entire week because i talk to myself all the time like when i prepare for my presentation night i walk around the house pretending like i'm in front of the audience is how i prepare for my speeches i could not imagine not saying a word for a whole week could you either you leah or not leah lee or justin could you go a whole week without saying anything yeah actually so that's not so much how my life looks now but i used to do 10 day silent meditation retreats many times a year and i did one right before getting married with my husband and it is a struggle i'm not saying it's not a struggle but there is this point and justin was pointing us towards it a bit ago where you just finally relax those reflexes if you, you realize i can rest in not thinking about what to say not having to say anything not having to respond and to just be an observer in this moment, which is what you're asked to do as you do these different, you know, meditation practices. And there is a great liberation 
to that. And I feel so grateful for those opportunities, which mostly came before having children for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, I may return to them again. And so that may be uh, someone listening to this, that may be a form of quiet that they really deeply treasure. And it it may not be your form of quiet, Mark. You know what I mean? It's really just, that's our point is it's like, you know, it's not, it doesn't need to look like that, but you might want to try it. Give it a whirl. Yeah. How about you, Justin? Yeah. You know, I'm reminded in the book, yeah, I've done some some silent time in meditation, but again, it's not where I am in my life right now. It's something I would like to do more, I think, but it, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. <laughs> we look in the book at how Gandhi, even when he was leading the whole Indian independence movement, spent one day every single week in silence. He didn't speak. Every Monday. When we think about it, imagine if our politicians today did that. <laughs> Well, I don't want to go too far into politics, but I, I can't I can't help to think that we might might have a better politic uh, government if we didn't talk once a, once a week. That would be fascinating. Um, now, you guys provided tons of value. Obviously, you wrote a whole book on this topic. Where can we go? Because I know the listener really wants to know more about you and your book and is to give a little nod to Steve Jobs, the dent you're putting in the universe. So how can they do that? What a nice way to put it. Well, they can find us at astrayastrategies.com. That's our website with our collective work. But our book, The Power of Silence, Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise, can be found on Amazon and all kinds of booksellers, any, really any bookseller. We were published by HarperCollins in the U.S. and Penguin in the U.K., and we'd love for you to check it out. These are for practices for you individually, for you with your families, if you have them, for you and co, you know, coworkers, co-conspirators. And we look also at larger things that our government could do for society at large and culturally. Yeah. Justin, final word before we wrap up. You know, I think we said it all, Mark. I just, uh, I just <laughs> I love really uh, have loved this conversation and uh, thank you for the time and, Thank you for uh, how much you appreciate the power of silence here. Yeah. I really appreciate y'all being on the show. It was a very interesting conversation because in the world that never shuts down, I remember as a kid, the, they play the national anthem at midnight and go off the air till 6 a.m. Now, I mean, before streaming, before cable, before satellite, the world's always on and we need to take time to be quiet. So, Lee, Mm -hmm. Justin, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank Thank you, you, Mark. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I really appreciate your time and attention. Before you go, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you have not subscribed to this podcast in your podcast player of choice, would you do that right now? This way, every time a new episode comes out, you will be informed. Second thing is, while you are subscribing, please consider leading a rating and a review. This helps the podcast get discovered. And the third thing, I know I'm asking a lot of you, the third thing is, if you know of someone who can use this episode right now, why don't you just share it with them? Every podcast player that I'm aware of makes it really easy to share an episode. So if you're thinking of a family, a colleague, a neighbor, a friend who needs to hear this episode, go ahead and hit that share button and send this podcast to them right away so I can help them like I helped you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back real soon with a brand new episode.